Father, we just come to you. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Your word says all things work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus and called according to his purpose. And we believe even what your people have been going through these past three weeks and all around the world, your people, it will work out for their good. We cannot speak for the others because scripture does not give promises to those outside the kingdom. You said these are exceedingly great and precious promises by which we can partake of the divine nature of God and escape even this corruption, even this virus that is in the world and come out stronger more close to God and to one another within the body of Christ. You are able to do it, Lord. So we look to you. And every time we hear the word, we pray. We'll allow the God of the word to work in us, cleanse us, fill us, present us to yourself so that we can walk before you each day and be blameless, Lord. So speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So this evening, Resurrection Sunday evening. These are all great dates for us, but I don't believe in the first century. Those churches, they were ever celebrated days like this. For them, these were realities. Okay, These were in occasions. They lived in the spirit. They didn't live by the letter. This initially because they were all Jewish believers and because they were in that society and they were trying to reach out to the Jews, they kept the Jewish festivals. They did that. And immediately people will go find those things and say, we need to go back to it. No, that's not. It actually petered off. Once the Gentiles came in and the two became one, the, the meaning was lost and the substance was anyway there and has become full-blown So. These things which are okay, because we need to realize we don't know, only God knows the huge chunk of Christians live by the letter and not by the substance. And they need these things, sadly. No, that's the only battle. And this year, at least, these three days, two days, they didn't make it to church. Otherwise, there's a whole lot of people in Hyderabad also who go to church only on Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. So this year, they missed that too. So they have only one day left, that is Christmas. They are three-day Christians. <sighs> God talks about three days, they have only three days, and after three days there will be no more. But now they have only one day left, and I hope it won't be the day of judgment. So let's look to what is this resurrection day, and what happened that day, and how did that change humanity forever? Forever. I'm not talking about till Jesus comes for eternity. Everything has been changed because of something that happened on that day for us. So we go to Philippians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11. Let's look at this man and how he found the secret and God revealed that secret to us through this man. This was his desire that I might know him. Like in the Hindi service I was talking about there are four things here. I may know him 
2. Like if you do it in like in Pastor Vijay would do a maths equation A into 1, 2, 3, 4. Okay. I may know him. 2. That I may know the power of his res- resurrection. 2. I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. 3. I may be conformed to his death. And the end of it, result of it, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Okay. So this is, and his whole desire, it's all, you pursue these things because there is something that defines your life. And his, defi- his life was not defined by his ministry. That was an outflow. His life was defined by his pursuit of God. The ministry was the result. Okay, please understand that. Ministry was the result. He said, I want to know him. And out of that, when he started this pursuit of God, he realized, I cannot really know him unless I know the power of his resurrection. And then he realized, as soon as he understood, was getting the power of his resurrection, okay, that is given to share in his sufferings. Okay? And then he realized, sharing in his sufferings, the end of it is being completely conformed to his death. And then he realized, okay, I realize my resurrection is also real. Okay, that's how it works out. So let's learn from these, what I call spiritual greats, the history, which is the life of Christ we live, see through the people before and after Christ came. We learn from their mistakes and we learn from their successes, their victories, both because we have to learn not to make their mistakes and not, and also to imitate where they went, where they were right. So the resurrection story, the secret, like I said, we will go to the Old Testament and see its application in the New Testament. <clears throat> because the Old Testament is a shadow, New Testament is the, is the substance. And if you don't know our Old Testament well, we will just be with doctrinally good heads and without a corresponding life. Because the life is explained there. There's no life explained here. We don't have the history of all. Except a few journeys. We don't have his minute details. Even Jesus, we only know three and a half of years of his ministry. And just pockets here and there. Unless we study closely, we cannot put, you took theologians, great theologians to put that three and a half years out of that four gospels. If you look at it, you will be shocked. Like, his life seems not to be at all like the way I thought the, the, the way his days went, you know. And we don't even know whether it is right. Because we don't have history there. What do we have? We have it all in the Old Testament. Lives of people given with details. So we need that to understand doctrine. And we don't understand this and this together, then what will happen? We'll be doctrinally sound people without life. We need both. We need doctrine and we need life. Like Paul told Timothy, watch your doctrine and watch your life. Okay? Okay, so where do we go to life? We go to the Old Testament. So we look at the Old Testament and we say that in one day they broke the power of slavery. 430 years of bondage was broken in one day because of one thing they did. They believed in the power of the Passover lamp, the blood of the Passover lamp. They obeyed it completely and they came out. And it was not like the coronavirus. You could stay locked in and still catch it in the air. God was very clear. Put it and stay inside. Nothing will happen to you. The government can't guarantee you that with coronavirus. <laughs> you could lock inside and stay inside and still die. 
and you don't even know where you came in from. That's that's the governments of this world. The government of, of Jesus Christ doesn't work like that. When it says something, you can be absolutely sure. You can bank your life on it. Put it, stay in. Nothing will happen to you. And that's exactly what the two spies told Rahab also. Put that little ribbon outside your window, stay inside, get your people in, nothing will happen to you. The entire wall collapsed and that one part stood there. And everybody who was inside the house was also safe. So that's the power of God's word. And that is to what he's talking about being confirmed to his death. His death is where he's dying completely, totally to his life, believing in God and the voice and the commandments. And then he realized, I'm dead, he's living, and the resurrection power is flowing, full flow into him. Okay, and that's how it happens. <clears throat> so Israel came out one day, Pharaoh's power was broken, he said, go. But we know the story, the whole next 40 years, they wandered, they complained, they complained, they complained, they doubted, it was, it was like a, a huge bunch of people murmuring and complaining, murmuring. And finally they wandered and wandered and wandered and they died. They died because of their unbelief. But let's look in the way. Around three months after their journey, they reached Mount Sinai. They were all sanctified. They washed their clothes, everything. They were gung-ho about it until there was an explosion on the top of the mountain. There was thunderbolts, there was lightning, there was fire, the whole earth shook, everything was shaking. Because the book of Hebrews will talk about once more, like that day, it shook. They were terrified. Yeah, as such, they were terrified because they had seen all the plagues, then they had seen the Red Sea. They were, every, they were like a f- dominated by fear. When this thing also happens, they are petrified. And they say something in Exodus 20, verses 18 to 21. Scripture says, Yeah, 20, 18 to 21. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, trembled, and they stood afar off. That's where it begins. They looked at at and stood far off. Remember, their leader, years earlier, or sometime earlier, had seen the fire and gone closer. The people will stand far off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us, we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. The second response, they said, we don't want to hear directly. You speak to us. We'll stay far off. We are satisfied with secondary evidence. We don't want to get too close. Moses said, look, you don't have to be afraid. Do not fear, for God has come to test you. That his fear may be before you so that you may sin. He says, don't be feared. Because basically he's, he's kind of, James will echo this. This fear is a fear we demons have. Demons also fear. And they tremble. But they don't obey. This fear is demonic. It's not anything real about this fear. But he says the real fear is his fear will come upon you that you may not sin. But what has happened, because you are standing so far and you did not come close, the fear of God will never come upon them and they will sin throughout their history. One thing they should have received by going close to God was receiving the fear of God. Instead, they had a fear which was demonic and not godly. So the people stood far off. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So this was the history of Israel. They stood far off, and Moses went close. The leader went close. 
and a thousand years, or not thousand, thousands of years later, when Jesus comes, scripture says, God came. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And he walked among us. He came full of grace, full of truth. But now what you will see, the people will try to come close. The leaders will stand far. The sinners flocked around Jesus. The leaders were always far. Earlier the people were far and the leader was close. Now the leaders are far and the people are close. By the end of the story we will realize ultimately everybody was far. Everybody forsakes him and he's all alone. Yet the entire desire of God, both in the Old Testament and even more in the New Testament, is that we draw close to him. In the New Testament, it is not that we draw close to him. He wants to be us to be in him. That is how close he wants us to be. Stay in me. Abide in me. Okay? So we have to understand what resurrection means and the power of resurrection that Paul is talking about. The power, otherwise it's just another day and we'll wait for next year. What did they mean? So the most important facet of Israel's life, we'll begin from where they came out, is the tabernacle. That's what gave their meaning, their significance, everything. God said you will make a tabernacle. And Exodus 25 is what it is being Given and 25 and verse 9, God will say, You're going slow. 25 9. According to all that I have shown you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishing, just so that you shall. Make it. He says, make a tabernacle. Make a home for me. Make a home for me. Okay, tabernacle is a tent. Okay, I like in Hindi, Nivastan. Okay, a place for me to live. Okay, they were living in tents, so he says, make a tent for me. Okay, and then they all built houses, and then David is the one who's feeling bad. We are all living in houses, God is still low. So he says, I will live with you. I will live among you. I want to live with you. And then in 25 verse 16, he will say, the tabernacle, you shall put into the tabernacle the testimony which I will give you. I'll give you my testimony, my testimony, and you shall put into it. And then its name will change. It will become the tabernacle of testimony or the ark of testimony. Okay. So we will see in the new covenant, this was the picture, shadow. The truth is Jesus was the ark of the testimony. He was the ark of the testimony. He was the mercy seat. His blood is what makes atonement. And God speaks through him. In the ark of the testimony, God had told them, if you come to verse 21 to 22, we will see this is what God says. 21 to 22. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you. I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. And that's what we saw in the morning. Jesus was the ark of the testimony, and he was the mercy seat, and the two angels were over there. And that was, he was the actual God's testimony. And now God speaks to us through him. That's why we are always told to go through Jesus Christ. The Father doesn't do anything 
apart from him. That's why in the in the Genesis account, whenever people go to Pharaoh, Pharaoh will say, "Go to Joseph. Go to Joseph." That's a picture over there. Go to Joseph. Okay, you go to you can't go directly to the Father. You have to go to the Father through Jesus because He is the Ark. His is the He is the mercy seat. His blood is that makes us the atonement. And the Book of Hebrews says He has made a new way come through His flesh. And his blood, the new and the living way. Because that was the type, this is the substance. Then in chapter, yeah, same chapter, verse 10 and 11, it tells you how that had to, ark had to be made. Verse 10 and 11. It said, make, make, you shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half and a cubit. Okay, let's leave the measurements aside. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it. It shall make it on a molding of gold all around. One of the things it was said, wood, but entirely covered with gold. So that's Jesus signifying his divinity and his humanity. He was son of man and son of God. Okay, he was son of man and son of God. So the two parts about it. He's the only one who's called the son of man. And also the Son of God. Now, you look at the book of Hebrews, you will see the items in the ark also represented Jesus Christ or God. Okay? We see it in Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. Verse 3 and 4. We just need to look at 4. 4. Which had the golden censer, that's outside. The Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the tablets of the covenant. The tablets of the covenant was what put in first. And that's how it got the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Testimony. We will see the tablets of the covenant represented the person of God. Okay, it, it shows who's, and Jesus fulfills it, and shows this is what God is, and this is what God demands. The golden pot of manna, the manna that never went bad, represents Jesus Christ again, because he said in John 6.51, I am the living bread that has come from heaven. The manna never went bad, because it was kept in the golden pot, and kept in the presence of God, so it never went bad. The golden pot is a life that is pure. The word of God forever lives in it. It's like Samuel. The word of God never falls to the ground. Your life, if you walk by faith, the word of God is ever. You cannot walk by faith unless you hear. And unless you hear, you cannot walk by faith. And if you have to walk by faith, and if you're walking by faith, your, your, your life is blameless. Because there is a righteousness that comes by faith and faith alone. If you are only walking by faith, then you are pure. And if you are pure, the word of God is living. You never struggle about hearing from God because you hear. It is not dead, it is living. That is how it works. The minute you step out of faith, the pot has gone. And the word of God is stale. It is become stale. Okay? And the word of God should become stale. Because otherwise you will live on yesterday's manna. It will teach you. To keep your ears open and listen that the word of God is. And then when you come to Aaron's uh, rod, the third thing over there, okay, is Aaron's rod. Now we will today, we'll come to Aaron's rod because Aaron's rod, that is the most significant picture of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. The children of Israel, the first generation and subsequent generations too, you know, People will say the best age of Israel was 
Davids. That was for God. That was for God. God loved David. And he said, that's a man after my own heart. But the people were absolutely fickle. Absalom come, they will go over to Absalom and chuck their king out. You need to realize the people were not like what we are thinking of. It is the leader who was a man after God's own heart. And if the people don't want God, they don't like that kind of leaders either. They prefer Absalom. Okay, they like leaders. So history of Israel is always connected with rebellion. Always with rebellion. And you will see what I would say was, uh, you had a father called Moses. Two young men called Joshua and Caleb. The rest were children. A child priest and a child prophetess. And 250 child leaders. Okay. All were children. Rebellious children. Children. One problem with the children is if they are not well behaved, they are the worst. Rebellious. And you will see it's always a history of complaining and rebellion. And when it comes to rebellion in chapter 12, we don't have to go numbers. It starts with Miriam and Aaron. From the family itself. That was handled with Miriam. After that, Aaron falls in place. You don't hear trouble from him anymore. In 14, you have the, all the people, the whole congregation rebelling. Okay? And then they lose their destiny. In 16, even after that, 16, the leadership gathers. The leadership gathers. Okay? And you know the leadership in 16.3. It is about leadership. Are you the only one? 16.3, if you look number 63. This is the always. Are you the only one? They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you took too much upon you. You take too much upon yourself. For all the congregation is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why do you then exalt yourself among the assembly of the Lord? They didn't. God did. And this was the issue there. It's about who is the one who speaks. You know, the story, God intervenes directly. You have the first picture of hell. They go down, by the way, someday I should teach you on hell to the principle of hell, that there are four stages, four places underneath hell, which is underneath. We have only talked about three realms, but hell is another place, and there's supposed to be four places. You don't have to go there, so we don't have to learn that too much. Okay. Okay. And then, because certain things, it's just curiosity. And you go into that, everybody will long in to hear that. Because they would prefer to hear about the secrets of hell. Like like one of the church in the book of Revelation, they want to know the depths of Satan. They don't know the, what they call, depth. forget depths of God. The basics of God, but they want to know the depths of Satan. That is where Solomon ended up in. So they are destroyed, so many dies, and still they gather. The crowd gathers. And 14,700 dies. Let's remember that's the plague that comes and poor Heron had to run and get the the incense and stand between the dead and the living. This is after. They still come and say, the crowd is like that. See, if you don't hear from God, that's the whole problem. If you don't hear from God, it doesn't matter what God does. You will still fight it. You will still fight it. God is doing one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing after another to show, hey, back off. These are my leaders. Just back off them. People don't realize. They still come back and saying, no, you are doing some black magic or something. They are against. And this time, another 14,700 die. This is like waste, dying for nothing. What a waste. If you die in battle, it's at least 
worth it. This is people just dying for nothing. And then what happened? God decides, okay, let's handle it once and for all. This leadership question has to be handled once and for all. This is then and for all time. We get the principle. In Numbers chapter 17, he will ask all the leaders of each of these tribes to come. 17. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, get them, a, get from them a rod from each father's house. All the leaders according to their father's house, 12 rods. Write each man's name on his rod. You shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. It shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you. He says, this final sign, all the complaints people make against leadership will be wiped out silent. So he spoke, everybody gave one one rod, staff, because the staff represents your authority. Remember, even the kingdom of God has a scepter. It's a scepter of righteousness. So when Jesus comes to rule the first thousand years, because it will be a lot of sinners, so it has to be a scepter, has to be a scepter of iron, meaning it's going to be very tough for the sinners. And after that, it will be a scepter of gold, because everybody will be pure, and there is no sin, no flesh, no Satan. So the scepter or the rod is a sign of authority. Remember, all of them had Abraham, had Isaac, had Jacob, had Judah, had, remember, that is what Tamar asked for. So you have, they all bring, and the rod of Aaron was also among. It is all kept over there. So let us see what happens. So all the rods are taken into the tent of the testimony. I kept before the ark, and they all go out, and it is night. It is night. The next day, after the darkness, the next day, they go over there, and we will see eight and nine what happens. Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle. It came on the pass on the next day. Moses went into the tabernacle of the witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted, put forth buds, had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. And Moses brought out all the rods before the Lord to all the children of Israel. They looked and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be to kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Okay? So we'll see one rod of that twelve alone sprouted. There were buds, uh, blossoms, buds, and almond, ripe almonds in one night. So that is the first time we see the resurrection power coming on. The resurrection power coming on. Something that was absolutely dead. Kept before God. Resurrection. A picture of resurrection. Comes to life. It buds, blossoms and ripe fruit. And that was the sign of God's uproot leadership. And you will see in Israel's history, after that nobody like really, really fights this. The Levitical order comes, you have high priest after high priest. The only two guys who really make a mess of it. We have false prophets and all coming in, but what I am saying, directly messing up with priesthood. One was Saul, the other was Uzziah, and both get judged. One is destroyed and the other one is, becomes a leper and stays a leper. But we know, if you look at Hebrews 10 and verse 1, the Bible says all these are <coughs> ten one. Hebrews 10.1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the thing. So law was just an image. 
the substance was Christ. So now that Christ has come, we understand what was actually happening. Okay? So Aaron was only a type. Because after that, only, remember on the um, seventh month, on the tenth day was the day of atonement. That was the biggest day. On Passover, the biggest day of their year was the day of atonement, when the high priest made atonement for the whole nation. And that only the high priest could go. Other things a lot of people could do, but this one only he could do. And that is what cleanses Israel and makes Israel acceptable to God. Okay? So people could only go through the high priest. And Aaron was only a shadow and a type. Okay, and First Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 will say the real person. There is a Levitical priesthood and there is another priesthood called the Melchizedek priesthood. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Okay, very clear. It is man, Jesus Christ and not woman. Because there is a woman and the church has substituted also has co-redeemer with Jesus Christ. She also mediates. Then they brought in so many others and all these saints supposedly mediate. But God is very clear. It's only one. That is the man, Jesus Christ. No man, other man, no saint, no one else. No apostle, no pastor, no evangelist, no teacher. What are we? We are only signposts pointing to Jesus Christ. We are just voices in the wilderness. We don't mediate. We, can't, we can pray for somebody else, but we cannot mediate. Mediation is only Jesus' business. Even when we pray, we pray to him. Okay. So, this is the type we see over there. And Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, God's final sign to Israel and to the world is Jesus Christ. God who various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days. So it's not like the Muslims say he's the final prophet. This is the one. He's already spoken through his son. When he has spoken through his son, he cannot circumvent or supersede the son and send another man to speak about him. It doesn't make sense. He's spoken through his own son, Jesus Christ. He has spoken the last day, whom he has appointed heir of all things through also he made the worlds who being the brightness okay it's talking about his brightness of his glory the express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high this is what the resurrection power did everything that he does over there is the power of resurrection okay and now If you go back to what happens. Aaron's rod, how do we work it out? Okay, Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, when he lived on earth and when he died on the cross, he was just like that rod that was kept in a tomb. But that tomb became the presence of God. And what you will see is the resurrection power come upon it. Let's look at that in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. How is introduced to us by the prophet Isaiah. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Okay, A rod shall come forth the stem of Jesse. And Jesse we know is David's father. And Jesus is called the son of David. Now if you go to Isaiah 53 
the rod is described in verses 2 and 3. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form or comeliness and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This is the truth, not what the Jesus movie makes us look like. The problem is the Jesus movie is made for the world, the flesh. So if they make him like this, nobody will watch. No, there are, there have been fantastic actors. Have you noticed South Indian actors, some of them are fantastic actors, but they never do well in North India. Because in North India, it's all looks. It's not acting skills. Some of the South Indian actors can give anybody a run for the money. They are fantastic actors, but they are not uh, good looking according to the flesh. But here, somebody who's got incredible looks and has no acting skills at all will be a superstar. And that is the world. So everybody wants, everybody wants like, like one. <laughs> everybody wants to make their uh, leader, God, look like, you know. Actually, when I looked into the, the first time when I looked at my face and I said, oh, I look, I look better in camera. You know. Unless, uh, unless, uh, unless uh, Roshan of course zooms it up, okay. <laughs> but this is, this is the problem with the world, okay. But this is the truth about Jesus Christ. He was just, he was just a root out of dry ground. He had no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. We have nothing. No, not that kind of earthly charisma that man is looking. He was not an absolute. Okay. And then, when he started actually preaching, a man who doesn't have good looks and starts preaching, which is tough, his preaching, he is despised and rejected by men. Now look at the construction. What does it say? No. It doesn't say he will be despised. He is. Still he's despised. Still despised. You know the real Jesus Christ. He doesn't fit in the model. That is why all these outer courts ministers don't look like Jesus. They cannot look like Jesus. Because if they look like Jesus, then they and their message both will be rejected. He is still despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief and we hid as if it were our faces from him. And then he's talking about finally when he goes on the cross. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Okay. This is Jesus Christ. This was Aaron's rod in the new covenant. Kept before God. Okay. And we know what happened. When he died, there was nobody. I mean, what kind of disciples are you that you won't even come forward to take his body down from the cross? Now, always think about it. Uh, come on. There's something called loyalty, even in the flesh. There's something called loyalty for your leader. I mean, okay, you all ran away, but what is going to happen to you if you go and say, can we just take his body? And so what has happened? Joseph of Arimathea has to come. If you read the narrative very carefully in John chapter 19, Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin and sitting in brackets because of the fear of the Jew who was a secret disciple. And the next verse talks about Nicodemus and he does not say he's still a disciple. Okay, because they were friends and he may be appreciated. Jesus teaching, but doesn't say Nicodemus was still a disciple, but says Joseph of Arimathea is a disciple. So it takes two big guys, use their influence, go to Pilate, get permission, take his body down, put spices, wrap it with cloths, and then he takes him and puts him into 
the tomb. And there's only one person through it all, like we saw in the morning, but that part, there is Mary Magdalene alone following this track, standing there exactly to see which tomb it is being put to come back on Resurrection Sunday morning. She's the one who's following it all around. None of the disciples are there. Maybe John was there. We don't know. But he's not volunteering even to carry the body or anything. It's these two people who gather. Uh, I mean, two. So you will see this was a rod. Despised and rejected. <clears throat> but that was the rod that was kept there. And the third day, something happened. Okay, the third day, something happened. The power of God came upon it. And he rose from the dead. Everything changed. Something happened to Jesus. We know it from, from Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. The Spirit of God came and raised him up. In Romans 1, 4. Let us look at Romans 1, 4. And declare to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. What makes Jesus different? It's a resurrection. He's declared with power. This is the Son of God. Because like we saw in the morning, if he did not rise, still the work is in vain. Still hasn't achieved. The only thing is that he has died, we also died. <laughs> we didn't rise with him, we died with him. Like Adam, he also failed. Adam died with his wife. Jesus died with his wife. That is no consolation. So he was raised up from the dead. And that is what created havoc in Jerusalem when the apostles started preaching. What were they preaching? Why were they so upset? They were preaching the resurrection. The resurrection changed the whole dynamics. Whole dynamics. They are not preaching he died. That's okay. There's so many messiahs who come and died. Nobody bothers. But they said he's risen again. In Acts chapter 3, verse 13, sorry, 14 and 15, especially verse 15. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and kill the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And that started changing the dynamic. What changed it? The fact that said he risen from the dead and we are witnesses. Aaron's rod had budded and blossomed and brought forth fruit. Okay, like I said, Sign of authority is the rod, a rod that is living, errands, which has power. I mean, you can carry, like, you know, if now it's locked down, but if you go early morning for the walks and all in military dairy farm road, you will see a lot of old people, okay, old people, stiff old people, white hair with a white handlebar mustache with their stick going, so you know, ex-army officer. But that rod has no power anymore, it's dead. But when they were in service, boy, when they walked with the rod, everybody stood there. It was not dead. It was a living rod. It signified power, authority. Now it is dead. You'll smile at them. They'll smile at you. No, they know the stick does. In those days, they didn't even look at a civilian. Who are you? Like they didn't even bother about you. Because then that rod was living. Okay, so you need to understand what it means. It signifies authority. It signifies power. And scripture says, that is what the God declared. This is the authority. This is the power. Let every mouth be silenced. There is only one way. There's no other way. The resurrection proves this is the only way. There are so many who have come before him, including Moses and all, and people who have come after him. All the ones before him were supposed to point to him. 
And those who have come after him also turn back and point to him. And nobody else. There is only one voice. There is no other voice. That is where the trouble comes. That is why they despise him. Yeah. So there are plenty. And they all teach you good things. All the teachings are good. There's nothing bad in any one of them. There's some bad things over there, of course. But there are, much of religion is good. It's good for the society to keep society cohesive. Okay, but the problem is, you look at every one of those founders, like I said in the Hindi service, if you go to Kushi, Kushinagar, I think, in UP, you will see this big stupa, that's where the remains of Buddha was supposed to be cremated in an urn, and the urn is supposed to be in this stupa. You go in the Buddhist realm, you will see thousands of stupas everywhere. What it is, it's the dead body of a saint. And the people come and revere and go around it and hoping for something, okay, fine. In the same way you go to, not Mecca, you go to Medina, there is this mosque with a green tomb at the top, dome at the top. That's where Muhammad's bones are. It is over there. Okay? So you look at any one of them, they are all buried. Okay? Only the Catholic started, Catholic Church started a myth saying that Mary's tomb is empty, got to Karelai, because they have to prove their doctrine, she's co-redemptress. Okay, they will do all this kind of junk, I don't know how, which Bible they read. Okay, because it's, 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 it's like an insult to God. It's an insult to God when you make somebody a co-redeemer with Christ Jesus, who did not live a holy life, who did not die for my sins, and says that person is a co-redeemer. It's an insult to the work of God and the holiness and the purpose of God. You're mocking him, actually. It's a mockery of God, not of man. You know, if you look at what God did on the cross, we love her. We actually honestly love Mary and respect Mary than they do. Because the first person, if in Catholics, those who make it to heaven is, get, is going to get scolded by is Mary herself. She said, I told you first time at the wedding of Kana, go to him and listen to what he says. You made me what I am not. Made me what I am not. That is not who I am. My first song, remember, when I was conceived, when I conceived him in my womb, my song was, I, my soul rejoices in my God, my Savior, my Redeemer. My Lord, my Savior. I made that as a Holy Spirit inspired song, which you did not understand. Okay, so people. So you will see all this. Like I said, Chinese greatest teacher is Confucius. You go, his tomb is also there. And of course, the man, ultimately what happens, these people with their teachings grip the minds of your people. And whoever has your mind has your body. So one of the person who grips much is Karl Marx. His idea has taken over, but he's incidentally buried in a church, you know, Highgate Cemetery in London, okay? And these are the people who have impacted the world in these past three, four thousand years. But the problem is, are you the way? No. Why? Where is the proof of your resurrection, if your way is true? If the way you are pointing is true, it shows on the other side. And you're all dead over here. Your bones are still over here. He's alive. He's alive. And he's risen. So the resurrection is the proof. 
And that's what God says. There's so many issues. First generation itself about leadership issue. I will settle it once and for all. The proof of leadership will be resurrection. Then you will know who you need to listen to. Who can mediate for you. Only Aaron can mediate for you. And I will prove it to you by the power of resurrection. Only Christ can mediate for you. Because somebody who is dead cannot mediate for me. Somebody who mediates for me has to be alive. And has absolute access to God. And there is only one who is alive and access to God. Who is seated on the right hand side of God. Who forever makes intercession for us. That is Jesus Christ. That's the power of resurrection. That's the power of resurrection. That's what we need to realize. So you will see Jeremiah being asked a question in Jeremiah 1 verses 11 and 12. God asked young Jeremiah a question. Jeremiah, what did, what did the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. He said, oh, you have seen well. You have seen well. You have seen well. You have seen Aaron's rod, the power of resurrection. You have seen well. I will watch over my word to perform it. I like the, I, I like the NIV version which says, I watch over my word to perform it. Okay? Yes, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Okay? He says, I'm watching my word. That's what he always watches. He's not watching us. He's watching whether our, his word is living in us to perform it. That is the faith life. He's always watching over his word. Is remember the young men overcome because the word of God abides in you. Therefore, they are able to overcome the enemy because the word of God is living in you. So that's where it begins with Jeremiah 2. So let's go back to uh, number 17. And God will ask him to do a couple of things. If you notice in chapter 17, he will say in verse 10. Yeah, 10. Got it? Yeah. The Lord said, bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony. Don't let Aaron go with it. Bring it back and keep it before the testimony. The first thing he's told is that, keep it before the testimony. So scripture will also say that after 40 days, Jesus ascended and he went. Scripture will say everywhere he's seated on the right hand side of God. Where is he? He's beside the testimony. Who is the testimony? The father. Who is he? The testimony of the father. So he's sitting over there, okay, of the testimony. It's the Father. He said, I am the Father and the same. You have seen me, you have seen the Father. Who am I? I am the testimony of the Father. So he's seated over there. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, let's look at one person. And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of sight. He went to be there before the testimony forever. And I like the best is Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. And because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. That was the problem with the Aaronic priesthood. Once the priest died, then you have to wait seven days before the next one came. And they kept on dying. Kept on dying. But because... He continues once. He once and for all entered in the most holy place and by one offering made everybody perfect. After that, he is standing there. Come to me, I'll keep on making you perfect. Positionally, I have made you this. Now keep coming that functionally also I make you this. I don't have to go die again. It's already done. It's done once and for all. Positionally, you're all perfect. But if you keep on coming, therefore is able to save to the uttermost 
those who come to God through him, since he always loves, unlike the others, to make intercession for them. Okay. On the other hand, in 17 and verse 10, bring it, keep it before the testimony, it is also serves as a warning. To be kept as a sign against the rebels. Okay, it's also a sign of warning for the rebels. Jesus Christ, who sits on the right hand side of the Father, is also a sign for all the rebels. And we looked at it. We know in Thessalonians, Revelation, everything, it tells you how he will come and judge the rebels. So in Revelation number 17, 12, 12 and 13, the response of the people. What is the response of the people? Thus Moses did, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. Their response. Whenever someone comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die, shall we all utterly die. And Jesus comes and tabernacles among us and says, Nobody has to die. You can come to the Father through me. Nobody has to die. Nobody has to die. On the other hand, he welcomes you to come. Come boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace and find mercy and grace for every need. Jesus says, all you need is to believe in me. Believe in my work and you will not die. Come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. The entire call of Jesus Christ is come, 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 come. Aaron's rod is everybody is far, 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 far because they are afraid of death. Not only that, in 17.10, number 17.10, what we see is bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony. And what had happened to the rod, it had blossomed, budded, and been fruitful. And you will see for 2,000 years, when the resurrection power has come into the lives of people, they have blossomed and made the kingdom of God fruitful. And Jesus said, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. That's what the resurrection power does. It makes you fruitful. There's nobody with the resurrection power who's fruitless. The nature of the power is that it makes you fruitful. Okay? So what was the nature of the, what did that rod do for Aaron? He was among the 12 rods over there. He was elected. He was empowered and he was exalted. And what about Jesus? He was the elect. He was empowered and he was exalted. And the same thing is said about his children. We are also elected. We are empowered. And we are exalted, seated with him on the right hand side of the... So now we go to this resurrection power. Because if the problem is resurrection power is a neutral term. Electricity is also power, hydroelectric power, thermal power, atomic, nuclear power. These are all powers and sometimes they make that into just into a power. The problem with power is that when it is power, it's in my hand. I control. But when the power is a person, it's a different thing. It's a different thing. That's why we have to be very careful about when you, when you use the term power. Because how Jesus put it is that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. So the power is intimately connected to a person. And our issue is that we love power and we try to manipulate the person. So in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, we'll put Jesus 
and us together. If the spirit of him, so suddenly it becomes the spirit of him. So who is that him? That him is God. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So now the power is put across as his spirit. It's a power of his spirit. Okay. It's a spirit who raised him from the dead. It's a spirit who lives in you. And I keep saying that all our problems are with the Holy Spirit. So we, if we say we are we are witnesses of his resurrection. It means we are witnesses of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's a true witness. How do you know Jesus has risen? Because the same spirit who raised him from the dead lives in me. There's nothing different. And how is it, how is the witness true? That same power is being manifested in my life. He overcame sin. I am overcoming sin. He overcame the world. I am overcoming the world. He overcame the powers of darkness. I am also contending and overcoming. Leave the miracles. That's, those are gifts. Those are ministry gifts. He gives to you as he pleases. That also Corinthians 12 is very clear. The Holy Spirit gives gives as he pleases. He's the Lord of it all. Okay, But with these three things, it is common. Whether you are an apostle, or whether you are a young child, these three things are common for everybody. How does the Holy Spirit resurrection power works? You overcome sin, you overcome the devil, you overcome the world. And you do it by faith. And by faith you have access to the power of the Holy Spirit, which is grace. So this has to be. So if you look at Jesus' life, is the pattern. He was born of the Holy Spirit. And he walked lived the life of the Holy Spirit in seclusion for 30 years. Then he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he was led by the Holy Spirit. Like I said in the afternoon session in Luke 23, 46. When he had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last, which means he also died in the Spirit. Even the greats in the Old Testament and all, when they died, they were not sure where their soul went. Absolutely sure. He died in the spirit. And this is a new covenant promise. You can die in the spirit. So this is man's greatest fear. How do I die? Stephen and all you are seeing are dying in the spirit. I see the heavens open. I see one standing, standing on the right hand side. And they are saying blasphemy. It's not blasphemy. It's dying in the spirit. No? And then, three days later, he rises by the Spirit. And now, I believe there is a paradigm change in the Trinity. One person of the Trinity, for our sake, has taken a body, which he did not have earlier. For our sake, he has taken a body. Now he comes... Like I said, the stone was removed for the women and the apostles to see he was not there. He did not need the stone removed. If he needed the stone removed, then he would have knocked on the door to open the door. He didn't. He could, in the new body, he could walk through anywhere. Time, space, these things don't matter to him at all. But for our sake, you can touch him and he eats too. So the new resurrection body is different. It's a different body he gets and that's the body we are going to get. Okay, so that's what you see. He rose from the dead by the Spirit. 
He's the firstborn among many with that body. He's the firstborn among many in that body. And we know from Acts chapter 1, 2, when he rose again, he also taught by the Holy Spirit. He's teaching also. He's giving a pattern for us. He's giving an entire pattern about what resurrection life is. Then he comes, if you know, on John chapter 20, verse 22. He begins the pattern with the scripture says, yeah. When he had said this, comes in, that is resurrection, this sun, like, like if you talk about around this time, evening. Okay, he comes and he breathes upon them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So he's starting the resurrection process in them. They are born of the Holy Spirit. They haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit like he received at 30, but they are being born of the Holy Spirit. It's starting. 50 days later, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And after that, they are going to be led by the Holy Spirit and they are starting their overcoming life. What is happening? The resurrection power is working in them. The same resurrection power which raised him from the dead has quickened their mortal bodies. Now they are witnesses of the resurrection. Where is the witness? Not only we saw it with our eyes, it's there in us too. We are witnesses. A witness has to be true. Witness has to be true. He has to have experiential evidence of what happened. And he not only has it, nobody saw the resurrection. They only saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. But they know there is an internal evidence and an outward evidence. We have seen him and it's inside us too. We know it's the same spirit who did it. It is the same spirit who did it. That's what he's talking about. The world would never be the same again because the resurrection power has come. And Paul understood this. And he wanted this. That is what Philippians chapter 3, 10 and 11 is. He says, I want to know him. I want to know him. Then he realized there is a problem. If I have to know him, he knows, he has heard enough about his life on earth. If I had to know him, then I need to live his life. And I realize that life is a very, very difficult life. So before I can live that life, I need that power to live that life. You're getting the That's what he's talking about. If I have to live that life, I can never live that life. It's impossible for me to live that life. If I have to live that life, I need that power to live that life. He says, therefore, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection first. And fellowship of his suffering. He understood. Because if you live in the spirit, it is suffering for the flesh. The flesh is contending with the spirit and the spirit is contending with the flesh. It is suffering and you cannot live that life unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the power of resurrection. And then he's saying, be conformed. It's not only that I lie, live like that, lie, dying, dying, dying. I have to, at a point, completely conform to his death. And completely conformed to, not to his life, to his death. Because when I am conformed to his death, then I am conformed to his resurrection. His power, how he lived. Because he conformed completely to his death and his father lived in him. And through him. That's what he is talking about. And that's what Romans 6.5 will say. Romans 6.5 will say this. For if they have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of Israel. He says, how much do you want to experience the resurrection power? He says, proportionally equal to your death. The more you die, the more you experience his life. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. 
See, the problem is, that's what I said, you have to be very, very careful about the, the power factor without the person. Because there is power and there is person. And if you detach the person from it, what happens is it will be like the prosperity preachers. They, they change the character of God. They change the character. They talk about power and they have great examples of power in their lives. But the problem is when you look at their life, when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you realize, you know what, the power seems to be okay, but there seems to be something wrong with the character of God as portrayed by them. This does not fit in with his character. This, if Jesus were to be living in that body, that's not the way he would dress. That appeals to the flesh and to the world, and he wouldn't do that. Doesn't fit it with Isaiah 53. The way they talk, that doesn't fit in with him. He wouldn't talk like that. The way they exalt the things of the flesh, definitely he will not do that. It doesn't fit in with the character of God. Though the power seems to be there, the character is missing. This is the problem. This is the problem. Okay. This is the witness of not just the written word of Christ, it is the witness of the life of Christ. There is a little word of God and there is the life of Christ. That is the third witness. And that witness doesn't match. And that witness has to match. Otherwise you can get the resurrection power and one day like, like, if you look at Samson, you will never question his acts. Those are acts of power. But you will always question his life. This is not the life of that spirit who is doing this work. This is not the life. So nobody will ever teach you, imitate the life of Samson. Nobody will teach you. Imitate the life of Christ. You know that is not the life of God. Yet you know it's the power of God. The power of God. But ultimately the power will destroy him, blind him, and he will become a slave in the Philistine camp. It will make him that. That is why we have to be very careful about the resurrection. Power, 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 yes. But it is a person who used the power. And Jesus was completely controlled by that person. That he was so completely controlled by the person and the power that the way he used the power was exactly according to the character of the person. Therefore, he could stand before people and say, I and my father are one. So so let's say, show us the father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. There's no difference. The character and the power are the same. This is where we struggle. Everything that Jesus did on earth was to display that power. That is the issue. All these people who come and talk about the ways of God, either they have character missing or they have power missing. And sometimes both are missing. Both are missing. Their followers might try to make them into something, but if you actually look into their lives, you will realize, hey man, he's neither got character nor power. He's got it. Like if you look at Buddha, he's got character. But you will realize he was powerless. He was powerless. I know a story I read when I was young. A, a lady who lost her child comes to Buddha, is one of the stories, comes and asks him, my child has died, please help me. He said, okay, go to <coughs> three houses, 
and get me a handful of mustard seed where death hasn't taken place. And every house she goes, they said, no, I lost my father, I lost my grandfather. Everywhere she goes, death has taken place. And she comes back and says, uh, um, your holiness, whatever they called him that time, said, I couldn't get. So he said, this is the fact of life. Birth and death is a fact of life. Not Jesus Christ. Stop that. The mother doesn't even ask. Stop that. Take your son and walks away. Jairus' daughter, don't laugh. Get them all out over there. Tabitha, come. Get up. Give us something to eat and walks away. Lazarus, remove that stone. Lazarus, come out. He didn't say these are facts of life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't try. He said, no, you, you don't understand. I've come from the other side. I'll tell you the facts of that life. That life overcomes death. Death makes way for life. It's swallowed up in victory. Okay, so these are the facts which you have to understand. And it continues. Therefore, God's people in whom that life has come already has crossed over from death to life and they're not scared. They're not scared. They're not afraid. We're not afraid of death. We are not afraid of death. So now we will go to the ministry of Jesus Christ to see what he was trying to teach us and what we keep. Same things, but because today is Resurrection Sunday, and we are talking about the power that raised him from the dead, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. That did not happen when he was raised from the dead. That was how he was born. We call it resurrection power, but that power was always the power in which he was birthed, lived, walked, died, and rose again. It was always the same power. So the resurrection power, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, is not only seen then, it is seen in from the beginning of the Bible, the power of the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was dark and void, and darkness covered the surface of the earth, and the waters covered the surface of the earth. The Holy Spirit is hovering. The power is waiting there. The person, the third person of the, third in the tens, not in even in terms of order. There is no one, two, three there with them. They are voluntarily submitting to each other. There is only one. That is why Israel is told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Who is one? Father. Who is one? Son. Who is one? Holy Spirit. Because there are three, three are one. But the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. And then God says, Light. And what we call resurrection power later is starting there. The entire earth is void. And the book of Job and Isaiah will say, did he create it void? No, something had happened over there in the demonic realm. Everything had become chaotic and dark second realm and affected the first realm must have happened, everything. So resurrection power is work. It's a resurrection that is taking place of God's original creation. Let there be light. And the light is coming. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six day it is happening. That is what is happening. So resurrection power did not start there. It started right in the beginning. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't detach the person. But we learn through Jesus Christ how it works in our lives. So it begins in John chapter 2. Like I said in the afternoon and we have heard in the past days, there are seven miracles before he died and one after. The after one we saw in the morning. Seven miracles and all of them are called signs. They are not miracles. Signs of what? Of who he is. The power of the Holy Spirit. And we begin with the wedding at Cana. Jesus was also invited. So always traditional sermons. It is good to invite Jesus for the wedding. 
All that is true. Okay, all that true. <clears throat> so he is coming over there. And there is a situation over there. The wine has run out. And the mother comes. And we know his address to his mother. Woman, what is that? Leave all that. The servants are told, go to him. Disciples are not involved in the first miracle at all. Because one thing you need for the power of God to flow into your life is unquestioned obedience. They have just started following him. They are going to ask a lot of questions and doubt and unbelief and all that. So he doesn't include them at all. So servants are sent. Servants usually don't ask questions. They obey orders because they don't even know what is happening. Okay? So he tells them, fill the six wooden, sorry, stone jars. Like I said in the Hindi sermon, these are six stone jars kept over there with water to wash the feet of the people who have come for the wedding. But it's a picture of mankind. Man who was made of dust after 4,000 years of walking away from God has become hard as stone and empty. And empty. And the life which water represents life, what is their life being used for? It is used for washing off the dirt of their feet. Meaning their life has mixed with the dirt and has become one with the world. That is the history of humanity when Jesus starts his ministry. This is what you are. This is what, not what you were meant to be. This is what you have become. Hard as stone, mixed. Your life is mixed with the world and just is washed away. You have no purpose in life. You're just living to die and dying to live. There's no life there. And that's where it begins. And then he says, fill it with water. Now there is a difference when you fill it with water. You are filling it water at his word. That's a difference. We have toiled all night, Peter would say in the first miracle, but at your word. That's what makes a difference. As long as the word is in there, it doesn't matter what you do. There's no life in it. But when the word comes, even if you are doing something in which you fail hundred times when you do it, power has come because the resurrection power is flowing because the word has come. That is why it is so important to hear. And when you hear, it makes no sense at all. It doesn't make, it doesn't fit with your rational thinking because faith is outside. It is not, it's not even like what they call out of the box thinking. That is in the world. This is not even out of the box thinking. This is thinking because God spoke. You don't understand it and you don't have to understand it. When God gives you instructions, you don't have to understand it. You just have to obey it. And that's when the resurrection power, that's the power of the Holy Spirit works. Jesus said, fill. Father said, let there be light. And the Holy Spirit comes into the picture and it starts working. Now he's standing in the place of the Father. I and the Father are the one is speaking. Fill. And they fill. No questions asked. They fill. So when God says, fill, fill. Do a good job. We talked about diligence. Fill. Don't leave it half and say, I filled. Then you are like Saul. I have obeyed the instructions of the Lord. He says, what is that bleating of the lamb and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? If you have obeyed the commandments of the Lord. That is why he uses his servants who are used to obeying and they fill. 
They didn't ask any questions. Everybody is already in the party. The party is almost over. Everybody's feet is clean. Why, should, why, need, why do we need to fill this? No questions asked. This is exactly what the disciples have, would have said. And if there are two lazy fellows among them, they will say, we don't know how to draw water. We don't know where the well is. Excuses people make and because of which they never experience the power of God in their lives. It is there. They hear. Or one, they don't hear. Two, if they hear, they don't obey. And if they obey, they don't obey fully. If he had obeyed fully, his throne would have been established forever, Saul's. That was the promise given to him. If he had obeyed fully. But he didn't obey fully. He obeyed, but he didn't obey fully. And his throne was taken away. Because resurrection power can only flow when obedience is complete. And God tests us with little, 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 little things. And that's where it is important. And they fell. And when they fell, he says, Take a mug, take it inside. No, we do not know where the miracle happened. We have no clue where the miracle happened. Did the miracle happen as soon as they filled the water? We don't know. Did it happen when they took it? We don't know. Did it happen when they were taking it? We don't know. Did it happen when the man put it in his lips? We do not know. Scripture says about the ten lepers, when they were going, they got healed. It's not when they reached. When they were going, it got healed. So it can happen at any time. Don't doubt it. Oh, I poured, I'm looking, is the color changing? Don't, don't, don't. Okay, now I'm scared, it still looks like water. He's telling me, take it. And it still looks like water. What will I do? I will look like a fool if I go over there. Now, what will that man, he will shout at me. What is that? We want wine. Why did you bring water? By the way, where did you get this water from? No questions asked. And they learn by the end. Go to the bed page over there and you will see the young one of a donkey untie it. And if somebody asks you, just say, the master needs it. That's it. And they go, why are you taking it? The master needs it. And they said nothing because he already worked it all out in the spiritual realm. Nobody will say anything. This is how faith works. This is how faith works. But I'm telling you, even if you hear carefully and you'll obey carefully, don't detach the person because that's where I have seen so many men of God fall away. Because they ultimately start thinking like Saul, this power is mine. To use it the way I want, like Samson. And then one day God, the gun, the God says, you don't realize the person who gave you the power will judge you. The power was never yours. That's why he tells him, when you were small in your own eyes, do you realize how you use the power? Now you become big in your own eyes. Big in your own eyes. Yeah, this is where you have to be careful, careful, careful about it. Okay? And then you will see the wedding at Kana. You have an overflow and there is joy at the end of it. And that's the resurrection life. The resurrection power of God walks into a hardened, empty life, fills it with the word, and joy is flowing in. And it is because of the work of the Holy Spirit and the word for righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost is the kingdom of God. In the Holy Ghost is... So I will tell you, how do I pursue righteousness and peace and joy? Don't pursue the Holy Spirit. He's the person who brings it. Is a person. Listen to him and obey him. He brings it. He brings it. That is where the issue with the voice comes. The issue with the voice comes. Faith comes from hearing. All those who have ears, let them 
hear what my spirit is saying. That is the key. And don't go into your imagination and all. It will be always sanctioned by the word. The Holy Spirit will never get out the boundaries he has set for us in this creation. He himself, God himself has set boundaries for him in this creation. It's outside. But because we are fragile, fallible people, he set a book and says, it is here. I will work within this framework for you. So know the text well. Know your text well. If you don't know the text well, you don't know the Holy Spirit is speaking. And if you do not know your text well, you do not know when if the enemy is speaking in the Holy Spirit's, uh, Holy Spirit's, uh, voice. So you need to know the text and the person very well. Both you need to know and grow step by step. Okay. Otherwise, even if I were to say these feathers plucked from Caesar's wings will make him fly an ordinary pitch, who else would make us all survive? You, you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking from Act Two and Scene Two of Julius Caesar. You don't know the text, so you don't know what I'm talking to you. But if you know the text, you say, "Ah, that is Julius Caesar and this Act One Scene One to Marcellus and the two tribunes. Their first reaction when the people are getting ready to welcome Caesar into the town." You know immediately, you know your text, you know where it is from, you know who are the characters over there and what is the context you know. But if you do not know, you will wonder. Because suddenly you say, I think the Holy Spirit is taking and you will realize, yeah, it is a spirit because it is written. Fits in, context fits in, the way he is saying it and what he is saying in fits in with this scripture, fits in with these lies in the Bible because there is a pattern about God. He never changes. He is not man that he should lie. It fits in. It fitted in with Abraham. It fitted in with this person. It fitted in with this person and he is telling me something similar to me. It is God who is speaking. That's why Jesus, it is also, it is written and he quotes from Psalm 91 and Jesus says, hang on, it doesn't fit in with the character of my father. You are quoting scripture. But you're out of context, sir. Get away. You're out of context. I know my father. This doesn't fit in with his character. He's not going to say this. You're misquoting scripture. That is why we need to know the character of God. Who is this person? And Know this person and know his word. We can know the word, memorize it completely without knowing the person of God. That's the Pharisees. The word they had memorized and spent their entire life learning is standing before them and they don't know who it is. They are fighting him at every turn because they don't know the person. So that's what happens. And the second miracle that takes place is in John chapter 2. Sorry, John chapter 4. And that happens, John chapter 4, that happens is when a rich ruler, that's also happening around at Kana itself. Uh, yeah, 4, 49 and 50, if I'm right, yeah. This man comes, his son is sick. A noble man said to him, sir, come down before my child lies. It's a father grieving over his child. I mean, it's very, 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 very serious stage. Okay, before my son dies, my child dies. Jesus said, "Him go your way. Your son loves." So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. This is the second miracle, and this was a sign. It's a sign. It's a, in this one of. It's only two lines written over there. Three, four lines. This, this, this miracle is hardly highlighted by anybody. They go over Kana, they go to Bethsheda, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking in water, the man born blind and last. But for me, this is the most important one. You know why? Because the man took Jesus at his word and he went and his son was healed. And our salvation happens that way. He said, it is finished. I have to believe it's finished. He said, any man who believes in me, 
Believe in your heart and the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is risen from the dead. You are saved. I mean, it doesn't sound reasonable. That man took his word and he walked away and he, his son got healed. This is the most important part of a believer's life. You believe what he says and walk away with your miracle. With the power. And we struggle to take him at his word. That's why I keep saying over and over again here, everywhere to pastor, they say, every word in this, I believe it is true. Even if it has happened not happen to me in my life. I will never negate it. I don't have to have it, experience it for it to be true. It is true even if I don't have it experienced. God is the same. It does not stop. Does he part oceans still? I don't know. Can he? Yes. Can you take you in the spirit from one place to another? Yes. Just because the book is written, God hasn't changed. So that's one entire denomination. Now the book is written, all these things. Who told you? Who told you? Do you think we need more of the power of God today than in the days before? If he could take me in the spirit, I would go to so many places, preach and come back. But he doesn't do that. He gave us this. But if he wants to do it, he can do it. Okay, so don't Ever negate. But the protection, this, oh, that will go into the demand. No. Protection is knowing God. Protection is knowing God. Our protection comes from that, knowing God and staying close to Him. It's, it's not like, uh, some of those great ones living like Sadhu, not Sadhu, Sundar Singh, Bhakti Singh and all, because they saw it and saw other people falling away and they prayed, I don't want the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why can't you trust the one who gives you the gift will also keep you? Can't you trust? No. No. Whatever he gives, I want. I want. But my prayer is, Lord, keep me. Keep me. Keep me, Lord. Keep me. And I believe this is one of the most incredible, simple, just two lines over there. And then on the way, the man's servants come and say, your child is healed. And he said, what hour? And he said, this hour. And then you realize that's exactly when he said, well, what can, what, what kind of a man is this? What kind of a man is this? Jesus said, go, your son is healed. And he took his word and he went. And you realize everything with God works that way. Every miracle Israel experienced in the wilderness is because Moses took God at his word. Stand there. Why are you crying out to me? Didn't I give you the rod? Lift it up. What are you talking about? The greatest army of the world with their chariot, their battle tanks are behind you, their horsemen, their soldiers, mad with rage because they all lost their firstborn. It's not an ordinary army. It's an army filled with rage and vengeance coming after you. A set of people who have been enslaved all their life. And you're standing there with a stick. And what do you hear? Lift your rod. He takes him at his word. Lifts his rod. And the miracle happens. Does that make sense? But he took him at his word. And did it. And every time it is the same thing. The people are crying. The water is so bitter. Okay. Did you see that stick? Put it into the water. Put it into the water. Every time. And when it comes to Jesus, Scripture says, my father has never left me. Because I always do things. What does it mean? It's completely 24-hour channel going on. Knowing. So absolutely, totally sensitive to the spirit of the father. And walking in it. And when you look at it, here is a man saying that, I want it. I want it. I want to know him. 
I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to be conformed into his image of his death. And therefore, I can be partaker of that resurrection. He says, this is my fivefold ambition in life. God said, you got it, man. I was looking for somebody like you. After Moses, I haven't found a guy like you. I was looking for you. Now, you know what? You're going to get more than that. I will use you to write my word. Which will, on which the church will be established. You will be the one. I had 11 others who were there with me before, but you are the guy I'm going to use. Because you got it, what it means. And that man walks that way. That walks that way. That man walks. Stephen dies, yes. James is executed, yes. We have Peter putting away his tent, yes. We have revelation from John, but this is the only man when he's standing there, I see my crown. Nobody else says that. He says, I see it crown of righteousness and that is the walk of faith because righteousness comes by faith by faith your absolute successful end of that walk is that you have reached the pinnacle of righteousness there is nothing left for righteousness to be achieved in your life i see the crown of righteousness i see it okay so we look at it and we say you know what if you could do it i can do it God is not a respecter of persons. He's the same person. Only thing I have to like persevere is that we have to run my race. I'm not trying to run Paul's race. I'll probably be a cripple in two years' time. If I try to run his race. That man was another man, but I have to run my race. And probably my race he won't be able to run. He may be able not be able to run my race because he doesn't know what we go through and we don't know what he went through. These are two different races in two different times where the spirit is the same. The word is the same. So we look at them, look at their passion, we look at their life and you say, you know what, I want to be like that, imitator of Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's, that for me is an incredible, incredible miracle that a man just, I mean, I mean it's only become, when you become a father and you have children. Your child is very, very seriously ill and you go to a pastor, let us say a man of God who really hears and he says, go, your child is ill. What will you do? It's your child. It's your child. It's not even you. It's your child. And the child is far away. You can't even call and find out if the child is well or not. And you take him at his word. And you walk away. The child is healed. And you realize everything in life with God happens the same way. You take him at his word. Believe and walk away. And you got it. Everything in life. Starting with your salvation. You heard the message. You believe. And you bend your knee. And you're saved. That's all. You heard the message. Yeah, that's true. I believe. Something is happening. Oh, I'm getting convicted. I believe. And that's it. Lord Jesus, come into my life. That's what happened 34 years ago. Lord Jesus, come into my life. And that's the change started. You know. And that's what God is talking about. And then we have the third miracle in John chapter 5. You have a man. Uh, he is... We have to be politically correct now. We can't call him cripple because people will be offended today. You have to call him differently abled. Okay. Dif- uh, dif- no, that is physically or mentally challenged. Differently abled they are. There is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate. I know the cripple doesn't matter whether he's called a cripple. He wants his healing. We want to give him a name. God wants to heal him. You would like to put labels on people and set them in their bondage. Here, what are you? This is your label. Stay under that label. That's the mat on which he's sitting. We give them labels instead of getting them riser from those mats. Okay? And what happens? We give all these labels. Ultimately, nobody is able to reach them because they are comfortable in their label. I am gay. 
Don't try to say I am wrong. I am gay. You are not gay. You are miserable. Call him by his name. You are not gay. You are miserable. You should know you are miserable. And deep inside you are miserable. But you are not allowed to say you are miserable. Because there is a lobby that is working. So you have given you a name. The mat on which that man is sitting. Five porches. And it's what the scriptures say. Multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. We see that. Okay? And Jesus comes to him. The angel comes once a year and moves the water. The first one gets it. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity of 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? One man. This is, we don't reach that in one day, okay? But we have to reach there when you can be absolutely sure there is a crowd of, let us say, 400 sick people lying over there and you just walk in, heal one and walk out. Even before they notice what has happened. That's all Father told me to do. What is faith? To do the Father's will and not the people's pleasure. Do it and walk away. No hangama, nothing at all. We go to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. We go all the way back to Israel's history and we see the only place where that word number is mentioned. At that time, we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zared was 38 years until all the generation of men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp just as the Lord had sworn to them. Yeah, that's enough. Okay, 38 years. They had reached Kadesh Barnea, the border in crossing into Jordan and the promised land. Ten spies, twelve spies had gone out. They all brought the same report about the goodness of the land. After that, the testimony differed. Everybody says God is good. Do you differ? God is good? All the time? All the time? Or do you experience it? No, there our testimony differs. Our problem is we all have the right testimony about how the promised land is. Flowing with milk and honey. See, we brought it also. Now, what about fighting? Do you believe God is good? Yes. Do you believe you can overcome all sin in your life? <laughs> no, Pastor, that's not possible. Who told you? No, there are giants in that land. Do you think you can overcome the world in your life? No, there are fortified cities in that land. The problem is we agree with one part of the testimony, but we do not agree with the solution. We don't agree with the solution. So people will say, don't say you can be perfect in life. But God said be perfect. Why would God say be perfect when you cannot be perfect? It's not a possibility of the rest. You, you are limiting the Holy Spirit? He says, be perfect. As your father is in heaven, is perfect. Walk before me and be blameless. He said it. Immediately they will say you are teaching heresy. No, it is written in the word. Then that is heresy. God is a heretic. But the problem is we all agree God is good, but we do not agree with the solution to experiencing the goodness of God. That is what happened. 38 years after that, they wandered and wandered and wandered. Two years they took to reach there. That itself was too much time. A 14, 16, 17 day journey became two years. Then the next 38 years because of their unbelief, that they, I mean, it was a, it was an insult to God. They said we cannot fight, but God said, "Who are the, who 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 told you that you are the one who is going to win?" 
I am the one who is fighting, right? I need your hands and your feet, but the power is mine. You're questioning my power. You're questioning my Holy Spirit. You're questioning my Holy Spirit, that my Holy Spirit can't do this. I said, okay, you will wander for the next 38 years. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, and they died. The oldest man in that lot lived only thirty-eight years, and then he died. He didn't cross to the thirty-ninth year. So Jesus comes to this man who represents Israel in the old covenant, in the wilderness, who never made it. He said, do you want to get well? Meaning, you're close to being judged and destroyed. You got your last chance. You want to cross over. This is the new covenant. This is the age of grace. Even you can cross over and overcome. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And he is still making the same excuses. No, I try, but somebody always jumps in. Jesus said, that's not what I said. Pick up your mat and walk. Pick up your mat and walk. Take it up. That baggage you know, on which you've been sitting, the labels poor people gave you. Throw it all away. You want your deliverance, you need to call it by its name. And the mat is the problem. Pick up your mat, roll it, and pick. And as soon as he picked, see, if he had walked out quietly, there would have been no problem. Because they didn't know who he was. But the minute he picked this mat, all the Pharisees came after him. That is the problem. If he had just walked, they wouldn't have known who this guy was. But the problem with this guy, guy has got a mat, and it's Sabbath. Hey, wait there, wait there, wait there, wait there. All the uh, Pharisees are after it. Wait, wait, wait there. Okay, wait there, wait there. Today is Sabbath. Why are you carrying your mat? Poor fellow has been lying there on that mat for 38 years. Nobody was bothered. One day he rises up carrying his mat. Everybody is upset. And Jesus deliberately does these things. He said, I don't know the man who... who the, who healed me, told me. They said, who it is? I, he said, I don't know. He didn't even know who it was. I don't know. But the thing is that he got the message. He got what Jesus was. This was a healing. But it was not a healing. It was a sign. He understood the sign. This is your chance to overcome or die. There are only two choices. You either overcome or you die. Like in literature field, when we are in academics, we have this saying, publish or perish. <laughs> You want a promotion, publish or perish. Stay, stay in the same grade all your life. Okay? Publish or perish. It's like, you want to overcome or you can die. He understood the message because he goes straight to the temple. Imagine a man on Sabbath day who's been lying there for 38 years has the gumption to pick his mat and go straight to the temple on the Sabbath day. And Jesus meets him there. And still has a word for him. And tells him, do not sin again. If you sin, something worse will happen. What is that worse? You will die. What more can be worse than this? You will die. And then we have the fourth miracle that is recorded over there, which you find in John chapter 6. That is the most well-known or all four Gospels record about it. We have heard so much about it. It is when, see, the great multitude followed him because they saw his signs. They saw his signs. Not his miracles, his written signs. 
And he went there and you have the feeding of the 5,000. And he said, let's feed them. He already knew what he was going to do. That's what the Bible says. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip said, yeah. One of his disciples said, he said, 200 dinaris worth of bread is not enough. He's looking like, you know, he heard it so much, but one is looking at, we have a supply and demand economic. They're all economics over there. So one looks at the supply. Very good. Like, you know, and it is true. In life, you have to look at supply too. But he's looking at his supply, but the problem is he's wrong. <laughs> he's, he's talking to the wrong person about supply. He's talking to the landlord of the whole earth about supply. The cattle on a thousand hill is his father's. The gold and silver are his. The earth and its fullness belongs to his. And you're telling him if it will take 200 denarii. That's the problem. That's the problem. We, te- we, we speak economics to God. We try to teach him mathematics. 200 denarii won't be enough. And Andrew was there. Andrew is cute. Always bring somebody over there or brings, always he will bring somebody. In the Bible you will see he brings his brother, he brings the little boy, he brings the Greeks. That is Andrew's ministry to bring others to Jesus and then disappear. (laughs) Verse 9. He says, here's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Okay, typical situation in life. We have, I mean, I mean, this is technically that's going to happen to the whole world after the lockdown is over. Okay, lockdown is over. It's going to be an economic crisis. Economic crisis. And you look at it, you look at all that you have, everything. You look at all the creditors, you look at all these things, and you are like that widow who came to Elisha. Your servant, my husband, your servant is dead, and they have come to take my sons. They don't come to take your sons. They'll come to take your house, your car, your refrigerator, your TV, everything. Because all was bought on your mind. <laughs> and you don't know where to go. This is all I have. And God is saying. What is God saying? What is God saying? Give it to me. And sit down. It's the most difficult thing to do when you have problems. The easiest thing you can do when you have everything under your control and sit and not watch God TV, but watch Netflix. But when you have absolutely overwhelmed by the pressure, the most difficult thing is to sit down. And that's the first thing he says, give it to me and sit down. What does it mean? It means it's not your problem, it's my problem. It's not your problem. Once you have handed over what you have in your hand into his hands, it no longer is your problem, it is his problem. So be very careful, it's not in your hand, the problem is in his hands. Be very, very careful. That's okay, he says, give it to me. Maybe the people. Just sit down and give it to me. Once it is in his hands, whatever it is, it's otherwise we will never be able to function in the kingdom of God because problems will only increase in the family, with the children, with the church, with the office, problems. He says, you want to function? You want to function? It's one way only you can function. Fun? Give it to me. And then move on. It's not your problem. Now your problem is to listen and do what I tell you to do. They sat down. 
and they gave the problem to him. And we can always be very, very, very sure about this. Whatever we hand over to Jesus, he will take it. He will take it. If it is sinful, he will take it and he will hide it in himself, wipe us clean. But if it is not, he will take it and seek a blessing from the father. Father, this brother has, this younger son of yours, daughter of yours has given an issue. And I'm bringing it to you, father, and I pray <coughs> you bless it. You bless it. And then he will break it. And it's in the breaking your eyes will open. Okay, we are not getting into that. What happens is, it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. Where does it multiply? I still don't know. Did it multiply in his hands? Did it multiply in the baskets? Where did it multiply while they were walking with it? We have no clue. We never know where it is going to happen. Just do it. And this is not Nike. This is Jesus. Just do it. Just, we do not know where the miracle will happen. This is the problem with people who are very rational thinking, you know. No, it has to be, God, I, I believe in miracles, but you have to do it this way. God says, no, you don't know my way. <clears throat> you don't know my way. You don't know my way. Okay, so we don't know where the multiplication takes place, at what stage it takes place. We do, Like the wine, we don't know where it took place. We don't know where this took place. Only thing we know is everybody ate. Everybody was satisfied. And there was so much left over. And God says, you know what? I'm not stingy. I'm not stingy. I'm not stingy. When you have a need and when I give you to give you need, I won't give you just enough to meet that need. Then I am a stingy God. I always told you I'm a generous God. So in my giving also, you will be generous. I will be generous. Know that. I'll be a generous God. Why? <coughs> Why do I want you to experience me as a generous God so that you will be a generous person? Because you are imitating my life, right? You are imitating my life. So if I am stingy, you will be stingy. If the father is stingy, the son will be stingy. But if the father is generous, the son will be generous. So he says, remember, this is who I am. So even within the miracle and after the miracle, he will say, pick up all the leftovers. And they find his 12 baskets full. Everybody ate, contented. All full and going. <clears throat> and how many baskets full is empty every day, right? Every day there is excess food here. And you're feeding so many people. So many people. And you know in this crisis that we, the world is, I mean, we, we are a small church with limited resources. I'll tell you something interesting. <clears throat> in this crisis that is going on, we, I'm not, not talking about feeding the church, which whenever I said we do. Outside the church, we fed only one Christian family. <clears throat> Hundreds of Hindus. And 25 Muslim families. Even in this crisis, God is saying, I want you to be a blessing to the people who do not know me. One Christian family needed help, we helped. And hundreds of them Hindus, migrants, and 25 uh, Muslim families who had no resources and no. And we were able to do it. And we didn't even, it didn't even blink. It didn't even bother to us. It just came and went, just like that. It's happening over there, you know. It's multiplying, multiplying, you know. Because at the end of this all, end of the all, this virus, everything is all, all over and con there should be a testimony of Christ in this country, in every country. You know what? One set of people were always there who were givers. You know, they were Christians. 
God must be different. Otherwise, how can it be in every country the Christians are always giving? So there must be something common about them. And that must be their God. And we will say, yes, their God is a giver. From the beginning, God gives. And he is the greatest giver ever because he gave his only begotten son. Other gods took other people's sons. (coughs) The God of the Pharaoh wanted Israelites' sons. All of them. So God is telling us, where do we stand? Where do we stand? And then we come to the fifth one. Okay, we come to the fifth one. That is also in John chapter 6. After that, Jesus sent them away and they go in a boat. And they are trying to cross. You got it? Which? Okay. No, no. And what happened was, <coughs> no, no, we are going ahead. Go, go, yeah. Go further up, yeah. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. He departed to be alone. Okay, he departed. He didn't want his disciples with him. You have to look, look at the context why he did not want them alone. He didn't want them with him. He wanted to be alone. Because there's tremendous pressure from the crowd to make him king. And he doesn't trust his disciples with that kind of a temptation. These guys also want to be kings. <laughs> There, there were times when Jesus wanted to be simply be alone. I don't want to be around these guys because these guys are to bore the words than the crowds. They only want to be make be keep. These guys want to be in the cabinet. Okay, so he wanted to be alone. So by the time he is alone with his father, pressure is gone because remember, he's come in the flesh. He's come in the flesh, and flesh has its own pressure. Oh, so you have to flee temptation. And the problem is you cannot flee temptation taking the tempters with you. That is the devil of them. So he left them and fled alone. He spent his time with his father in the mountain and he came back. In the meantime, these guys are not waiting for him. That is the problem that happened. They didn't wait for him. Now, if you are a true disciple, you've grown in that process, he's gone up, he will come back. I, I am going anywhere without him. What is the hurry? My life is about him. Where am I going early? I'm sitting here until he comes. They got in the boat and they went and allowed them to go. They got into the boat and went over the sea. And when they rowed about three, four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. Okay, And the scripture will also say wind arose. Yeah, the wind. Okay, It was already dark and the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. Okay, And he came and they were afraid. They had been rowing, 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 and they were afraid because they saw the dark figure coming. Okay? This is called the fear of the unknown. And most of us are crippled by the fear of the unknown. And when in real life, the unknown has never crippled anybody. When you finally, when the unknown becomes the known, you realize it was nothing. When you first came to India, weren't you afraid? (laughs) Are you afraid now? India was an unknown. Now you know India better than Indians. You sing in how many languages? Indian languages, no? But this is what happened. This is the fear that cripples us. What we do not know, but that is where faith should come. If you know, do you need faith? No. What is faith? Faith is trusting God with the unknown. That is faith. If it is known, it is not faith. It is sight. It is sight. Right? It is sight. 
And that's the problem. They see here and they they are afraid. They are afraid. And the problem is what is not within our hands, which we cannot control, the unknown scares us. Okay, the unknown scares us. And that's the first act Jesus dies on, die, does on the cross. He takes the fear of the greatest unknown. What is that? Death. You don't have to fear. You don't have to fear death anymore. Because the greatest unknown for man is death. And everybody who is very brave over death is Dutch courage because they don't know what is on the other side. It's not real courage. It's not real courage. Okay? It's not real courage. Real courage, it's actually you see the other side and say, I'm willing to go to hell for eternity. Then you will say, okay, you are either a madman or a fool. You don't know what it is like. Okay? So the first thing he does, deals with, is that greatest unknown called death. No man has to fear death anymore. It's just like going. It's not only he makes it very pleasant. It's going home. It's going home. It's your father's house where there are many rooms and there is no grief, no tears. It's joy forevermore. He makes it the most beautiful thing, the most scariest thing in life. He turned it around and made it exactly the opposite. The most beautiful thing that you should be longing for is going home longing for. And that's what he does. And what happens is we are afraid of the unknown. It's afraid of the unknown. And he says, don't be afraid. It's me. Sorry. Correct English. It's I. <laughs> it's I. <laughs> it's I. Okay. It's I. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. It's I. Okay. And we need to realize in the midst of all these unknowns, we are afraid if our ears are open. We will hear. It's I. It's I. What are you afraid of? I'm there with you. Didn't I say I will never leave you? Didn't I say I will never forsake you? Didn't I say I will with you till the very end? Didn't I say? Okay. That's what one man who knows God is standing there. People are panicking. People are like, it's almost like a, what you call stampede about to happen. But where will they go? They are surrounded, blocked by hills on both sides. Pharaoh's army behind Red Sea in the front. And he stands there and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be what? What? Faith you need to have tell it. Do not be afraid. Next verse 14. Do not be afraid. Be still. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The enemies you see today, you will never see again. Isn't that what he tells you every day? Be still. I'm with you. And you walk forward. You are just trampling. Or yesterday's scorpion is crushed. Today's snake is dead. You're moving into new and new, new territory. The ones who harmed you today will never have power over your tomorrow. They are done and finished. The God of peace will ultimately bring you to a point. You will crush Satan under your feet. Everyone, down to the top, I give you victory in my name. You're not going to see them again. But even they will come back over and over again if you fear. Fear is a doorway. It is a doorway to the demonic fear. That's why the first in the list is the fearful the fearful will make you do so many things. It was fear that caused David to kill Uriah. It was fear of being exposed and losing his face. All he had to do was that, call him and say, you know what, Uriah, I'm absolutely, totally sorry I did this. Don't blame your wife. I am responsible. I don't know how I can make amends for this. 
I cannot. I cannot change what I have done. But whatever is within my power as a king, I will do it. I want forgiveness from you. It would have been a different story. He wouldn't have had blood on his hands. But it was fear that caused him to kill. That's why God is saying fear and then murderers, all blah, 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 blah. All the entire list is over there. What fear will cause you to do. And God says, don't fear. God. And a lot of people have never moved on in life and reached their destiny. It's because of fear. Because of fear. And he says, don't fear. Don't fear. It's okay. I'm here. You don't have to be afraid. And when they heard, they were very happy. And what did they do? They took him into the boat. When we say it is I and we hear from him, we have to receive that word into our lives. And immediately we'll realize there is a solution. Fear is gone. Because when fear goes, what comes? Faith comes in. They cannot coexist. That's the question he asks in Mark chapter 4. Remember, why are you afraid? Don't you have any faith? They do not coexist. They don't, they cannot live together in the same house. Either faith will go or fear will go. They don't exist together. And he says, and scripture says, immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. And suddenly you realize, you know what? How stupid was I? Isn't that what he told me two years ago? Now, after two years, I obeyed and I have raised my soul. I wasted two years of my life. I should have done it. This is something what he told me a long time ago. I just, because of fear, did not take that step. And when I look back, I realize so much time is gone. Now, this is being told to us. This is an illustration of their life, but it's being told to us. You know how much time people have wasted. People have wasted because fear crippled them. And years have passed by. Fear, fear. And what are we doing? The devil creates fear. And we are forever trying to appease the enemy at the altar of fear. Please, 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 please. All we have to do is, Lord, come in. Come in. And things change. Immediately things change. Because fear is a weapon. Fear is a weapon. That's why scripture says he has held them in bondage in Hebrews 2.14 by the fear of death. Not death. The fear of death is worse than fear. And that's what David says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's not that evil. He went through so much evil in his life. But he said, I will not fear it. I will not fear evil. Evil will come into our lives. And we are supposed to be prepared for the day of evil. And for people, it's days of evil. But the problem is not the days of evil. It will come. It's appointed unto every man's life for it to come. But he says, don't fear it. And that's what David is talking about. You look at the evil he went through with his king and with his family and with his soldiers and the entire nation, but he didn't fear. And even in the last stages of his life, he does not fear. Absalom comes, he gets the whole country on his side, he chases his father out and Abiathar comes with the, or Zadok comes with the ark. He says, stop it. Take the ark back. Take the ark back. Everybody in a situation like that wants the ark because once you have the ark, the nation comes around the ark. That is a symbol of God is with you. When one king has the ark and the other king does not ark, automatically the people will say God is with this king who has the ark. And he says, let him go back to Jerusalem. That's where Absalom is. If God wants me to win, I will win. If God doesn't want me to win, I will lose. But I'm, I don't want the ark, the symbol. I want the person. The ark is a symbol. There's a person behind the ark. If he's not with me, I don't want the ark with me. But if he's with me, let the ark not move from the house of God. He will deliver me without moving the ark. That's a man without fear. That's a man without fear. 
we were afraid we'll try to get the ark, all the bujaris, everybody around us, like like everybody around us to say, look, see, God is with me. And the people will say, ah, ark is there, let us go over to that side. But that's not what happens. That is not what happens with David. And we need to handle this always with this fear. We to handle with this fear because I believe so many win. No, so many believers are crippled by fear. Are crippled by fear. And the Bible says, as soon as they took him, what you experience, you have you have reached rest. What is your destination? Your destination is he himself. In life, what is your destination? Your destination is God. Rest comes and he lifts you up. And then we come to the sixth one. Maybe we'll look at six and stop. Chapter 9 and verse 1. Now Jesus passed by and he saw a man who was born blind. And the disciples want to have a theological discussion. They want to do apologetics over a blind man. Tell us, who sinned this man or his parents? That he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God should be revealed in him. That's an incredible theological statement that goes against every accepted notion from the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, if something bad happened to you, it's because you sinned. These are Job's three friends. And these are their chalas. They're walking with Jesus, but they are their disciples. This is the this is, see, Jesus' theology is like contrary to everything they have accepted. For you, if God is with you, you are blessed. You will have cattles and houses and everything. Jesus comes and says, blessed is the poor in the spirit. Everything he speaks is contrary to accepted doctrine. And the Pharisees hate him because if people start following him, then they will lose their revenue. The temple will shut down. And actually it shut down. By this ministry was over, they killed him, the temple shut down. There was nothing left. Till today the temple hasn't opened. Sacrifices, there is no day of atonement, there is nothing. Everything is shut down. Just because they don't receive his doctrine, that doesn't mean the doctrine is false. The doctrine was true. Doctrine was true. And that's what's happening over here. He says, no. And you have to see always things in that light. When bad things happen to you, and good things, and good things happen to you, you want to come and give a testimony. What about when bad things happen to you? Is it not the testimony of God? That glory will come to God through it? That glory, God can be glorified through the terrible things that happens to you? Isn't it true? Not that what you did or what happened to you itself is bad. That's not what I am talking about. We are not justifying evil. But we are seeing that God can take evil around and make it for the glory of God. What if Joseph's brothers sold him? That is evil. Did Joseph sin? No. People will come and come up with a theology of his time. He, This boy must have been, like I said in the book of Acts, no, oh, this fellow must have been a murderer. This fellow escaped from the sea and now the adder has, viper has bitten him. And then they looked at it. The viper died and he's well. They changed the theology. This man must be a god. This is how fast theology changes. And Joseph also the same story. You look at Joseph. He must be, this guy must be a really crook. Because this, the Bible is very silent about all these things. What he must have faced. Because he must have been despised too. 
You are a Hebrew. First thing, as a Hebrew, you are despised. The Hebrews, not only you are a slave, you are a Hebrew slave, despised slave. Okay, you reach still the top. You can't say anything about it. The boss likes you. Now you have been accused of something else. Huh? Pa, what papam you must have done in your life to come to the prison? Hebrew, slave, prisoner. He kept his mouth shut, continued doing what he had to do. What is the best defense against evil in your life? Keep quiet and just do what God has to do, told you to. Not about evil in somebody else's life, your life. Keep quiet and just do it. Because that's your act of faith. Your act of faith. You do it. Jesus said no. He said no. This is for the glory of God. And then he does what he didn't do anywhere else before. He took clay, no, six, he took little mud, spat into it, made a paste, put it on his eyes, and said, go, wash it in the pool of Siloam. Now, why does he have to do that? Couldn't he have just put it on his eyes and said, be healed? But you don't go question God's ways. <laughs> One is born blind, telling all of us are born blind. All of us were born blind. And until, unless God does a creative miracle in our eyes, the resurrection power comes in, we will never see. We'll never see. We'll never see. Mm. Dust unto dust we will go. So he takes a little dust like he did with Adam. Adam was handmade. Okay, he was a handmade replica of God. So he must have made each of that parts he must have made. So he took it. Now we don't know if Adam's <laughs> eyes was whether God spat on it and made it, right? No? Now we'll say, oh, we would rave and glasses and God says it was spit man. <laughs> <laughs> God has got so much laughs. We'll go over there. God will say, do you know how you spend those, you know, to get that whatever glasses and all and spend a fortune on your eyes because you thought your eyes were so valuable. I spat on it actually. <laughs> God has a way of humbling. No, he did it. And then he put it over there and then he tells him, goes to the pool of Siloam. And he's a blind man. He recovers his sight only after he washes his eyes. Isn't it? So why do you have to put a blind man through all this? So he went, washed and came back seeing. Why do you put a man through all that trouble? Because do you believe? Do you believe? Because this man did not ask for help. Did he ask for help? No. He didn't ask for any help. So there is nothing to activate his faith. Did he say, son of David, have mercy on me? No. Did he hear Jesus preaching? No. So he does it and says, you know what? And then he heard, okay, Jesus, somebody called, I heard about Jesus. He's here and he's put something on my eyes and he's telling me, go wash. Now he has to walk on faith. Ah, what, Siloam? I'm not going. What is it? Nothing. Get me a bottle of water from the, nothing. Go to Siloam. Mention specifically where you have to go. Now you have been told to do something. And told to do something in a very specific place. Hearing is very, very clear. He only lost his sight, not his hearing. But his hearing is what will bring his sight. Are you getting it? We all lost our sight. We should not lose our hearing. It is hearing that will restore our sight. Faith comes from 
hearing and hearing and then you will see and enter into the kingdom of God. And he goes and he comes back and his eyes are open. And then immediately, every, see, every time somebody gets healed, everybody has a problem because it doesn't end, agree with their doctrine. Everybody is upset because there is a doctrinal issue for them because the doctrine is not the doctrine of the kingdom of God. It's man-made doctrines. And there they all struggle. So there is a man, dust unto dust. Then finally, let us finish Lazarus off because we know Lazarus' miracle so much. There is Jesus at the seventh miracle, the final miracle before he dies in and that is his greatest sign for that generation. Lazarus was ill. He heard. He didn't go. Very clearly mentioned. Lazarus whom he loved doesn't go. Disciples say, he says, no, he's only sleeping. They thought maybe he's not sick. Then he hears he's dead. He does not go. He delays it another two, three days. And by the time he reaches, it's four days. And he tells them, this is for the glory of God. So if a miracle is delayed also, it is for the glory of God. If it is immediate also, it is for the glory of God. So do we understand God's ways? That's why it's so important to hear. Oh, he's been waiting for so long. Nothing has happened. God says when it happens, it is for the glory of God. But Lord, four years late, yeah. That's the time I have set. I'm the one who sets time. I'm the one who sets time. There are so many miracles which are immediate. There are so many miracles which are delayed. But both are miracles and both glorify God. Because we don't understand God's purpose. Okay, on the 11th year, what happened if Joseph had been released? Would he have been glorified? No. Last two years was the most miserable years of his life, probably of those 13 years. Hope deferred makes the spirit go dry. But God was telling him, don't lean on the hand of flesh. If I sent you here and I gave you the dreams, I know exactly when to get you out. Don't try to get recommendations to get out of your situation. I will open the door. You get out when I tell you to get out. Stay there. Stay there. I have an appointed time for you. Don't try shortcut methods to receive your miracle before it's time. There is a time I have set. And if your miracle comes to you on your appointed time, that means you also have grown to that position to receive it. And you are ready to carry it. If you receive it before that, you know what? Your head will be too heavy. And you are liable to fall, though the miracle was for you. Yet you received it before your time. That's what happened to Saul. He blew his trumpet before he grew. He was not ready for that. And then the Philistines all gathered. He realized, boy, I have no prayer life. I have no word life. I started a ministry and called for a fast. Now the demonic all has come. I really don't know how to fast. I don't know how to. That's how a lot of ministry just collapsed under the weight. They also looked, if he can do it, I can also do it. And they realized, he did it. You can't do it. Because this is a battle. This is a spiritual battle. You have no clue what you are getting into. Like the famous Alexander Pope lines, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. You know? And there are a lot of fools in the ministry. They don't understand what is happening. They have no clue what is happening. But they think because of some head knowledge we can start a ministry and imitate what they are doing. Imitate. And you can't do that. Because even to preach the gospel, you are trying to save somebody from the clutches of hell. And it's a battle. It's a battle. So you have to be very, very, very careful about this. So God says, grow. I would like you to grow, but grow uh, in your time. 
let it come to your time. And that's what is happening over four days late. He has removed the stone. We know what he says. If you believe, you will see. We have heard, known, over. He says, she says, no, there must be a stench now. It's been four days. He says, did I not say to you, you would, if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Didn't I say that? So this is the problem. When God talks about it, okay, I'm telling you, in life, there will be a lot of things which God will tell you, take the stone. And you look back and you will realize, Lord, there is a stench. If I take the stone off, there will be a stench. God says, do you want resurrection life? Or you are content to stay, live with the stench and never experience my life? It's your choice. It's your choice. Zacchaeus was ready to remove the stone. This is who I am, chief tax collector, robber, official robber. He removed the stone and there was a stench. But by the time Jesus finished with him, there was no stench, it was a testimony. This too is the son of Abraham. So you have to go by what Jesus says in each situation. You have to go by what he says. And he removed the stone. They removed the stone. Then he called out, Lazarus, come forth. Now this may mean nothing to us, but it means everything to the people under the old covenant. 4,000 years of from Adam to Lazarus. Jesus is closing the old covenant and starting the new covenant. 4,000 years, that is four days into 1,000. 4,000 years of people have the hope of resurrection because one man came out after four days. They have the hope of resurrection. See, four days. We are three generation, three days people. First day, second day is over, third day is coming. We are caught on this side of the Calvary. They are caught on that side of the Calvary. So for us, he was in three days. It's a three day. For them, it's four days. Together, it is seven days. And the eighth day after Satan is thrown, sin is abolished, there is no flesh and new creation begins the reign of God in its totality. Absolute holy purity. So here is one. He came out. He came out. And he comes out. And he's very specific. He calls you by name. Lazarus, come out. If he had called, come out, everybody would have come out. Lazarus, come out. And then he looks at him. He who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. That is what you need to realize. Salvation means there was only one who was resurrected. Whose hand and feet were not bound. Because when he was living, his hands and feet were never bound. So when he rose from the dead, his hands and feet were not bound. That was Jesus Christ. When he rose from the dead, he just rose, folded, lifted and gone. But everybody else, when they resurrection life comes into them, they are still bound by their past. They are bound. Their legs are bound. Their hands are bound. The knees are feeble. The hands are feeble. Neither are they able to walk with God, nor are they able to praise and worship Him. And they have to be unbound. And that is the ministry after salvation, removing the grave clothes. These are the clothes of your past, of your past before Christ. And those clothes have to be removed. A lot of people, what they do is that they make three-piece suits out of grave clothes. And they walk in that and say, I look so nice. God said, don't you know that's grave clothes? Doesn't matter which tailor you took it to and what design he gave it to, grave clothes are still grave clothes and they still hold you in bondage. 
If any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. So if you ask, how much should my mind be removed, renewed? 100%. 100%. Even what I knew that was true before Christ was contaminated by the falsehood that was there. So now everything has to be renewed. The Bible has to become a new book for you. Even though you were a scholar or maybe you had a DD in the Bible before you got saved, the Bible has to be a new book for you because now the Spirit has to teach you. And it's a different teacher altogether. It's not the same teacher. Because the doctrines of man put blinkers in your eyes. And after that you are not able to move. You go like this. What are you? I'm a Baptist Christian. Lutheran Christian. I'm a CSI Christian. I'm a Pentecostal Christian. No, I'm a Christian. Christ in me. I in Christ. The grave clothes have to go. It has to go completely. And that is not the work he will do. That is the work we do. And he does it through us. Lose him and let him go. And if you don't lose him, you have life. But you have no freedom. You have no freedom. Like I said, liberty without freedom. And you see Joseph in the prison. Absolutely free man. No grave clothes. No grave clothes. Absolutely no grave clothes. It's a man who is free. Unbound. If you look at him, he doesn't look free. But he's the only man free in the whole universe. <laughs> the whole world, he's the only free man. Potiphar is not free. His wife is still what she always was. Potiphar is still what is a man, an angry man who puts in people without a trial or questioning, an unjust man. Potiphar's wife is still a lusty woman. His brothers are still jealous, lying, deceiving, cunning. Jacob is still a depressed man sitting in discouragement. They are all prisoners. One man is free, unbound. Absolutely free. Where are you? In fetters. Where? In the dungeon. Are you free? Absolutely. What I do? Exactly what God wants me to do in this situation. My plot is absolutely green. Spick and span. You can come and check it out anytime you want. Why? Because God is with me. This is resurrection power. This is resurrection power. That's what faith does. That's where we looked yesterday. Jonathan breaking out of that camp of unbelief of Saul breaking out and says, God can deliver with few or many. And they'll have to go up high. The armor bearer says, my Lord, I am with you, 100%. Let's go. I don't know how they climbed. They climbed up. And there was an earthquake and a shaking from God. God was standing up and applauding. Heavens was so excited that in the midst of this total Unbelief, two young people have stood up and willing to bring glory to my name. I am with you. Scripture says he thundered. Philistines ran. Then flesh comes once to take glory. I proclaim a fast today. Nonsense. They should be eating. You are fasting. That's the problem. This is what we are seeing. And one more word and we shall close. First Kings chapter 8 verse 9. We looked at it, but we started with Aaron's rod and we have to end up with Aaron. So Aaron's rod is a resurrection power of God coming into our lives. No, no, not 8 1. Eight. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb. 
from the wilderness, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Saul, David, by the time it comes to Solomon, things are disappearing. Generation to generation, the things of God are disappearing. Songs have changed. The word of God has changed. Worship has changed. Prayer has changed. Outward form is there. Of course it's all there. But inside everything has changed. Nobody knows. If you look at it, churches have become grander with all kind of gadgets, including us, or everything we have. But if you look inside the ark, it's empty. The core is missing. There's supposed to be three things over there. You're only one. But nobody will open it up and look. So nobody except God knows and the people who are in charge of it knows. Nobody knows. It's empty. Two things are missing. Service is going on like regular, but the core is missing. Now what are the things missing? The golden pot with the manna and Aaron's rod. What is this? Living word. What is this? The power of the Holy Spirit. So what do you have? You have a shell without substance. Neither living word nor the living spirit is there. Only you have the covenant. No wonder by the time Jesus comes, you have become like six stone-hearted, empty people because you took the living word and the living spirit out of your faith. All you had was a stone tablets. No wonder you are stone-hearted. What can that do? This is the testimony of God. What gives you the power to keep that testimony? The other two things. This is what gives you the manna that is living. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the God. My spirit shall not contend. Oh, don't contend with my spirit. Bend down. The wind blows where it pleases. No man knoweth where it comes from or where it goes. When the wind blows, if you are smart, what you will do is you don't resist the wind. You bow with the wind. Allow the wind to blow. Give way to the wind. Don't resist the wind. Because if you resist the wind, either it will go back or it will break you. Don't. Don't. If you look at huge trees and small trees, where the storm is over, you will see the huge trees fallen. And you will see the small trees standing. If you ask the small tree, you will see when the wind came, I bent. And what fellow this fellow stood and he knocked him down. And God says, be careful. Be careful. Understand the principles of how I started this journey with Israel. I told them. And I made them ark. And I told them, I am the ark. I am the mercy seat. It's my blood that is going to be there. Underneath is my testimony, my law, my living word, and my spirit. Walk in that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And Jesus came and said, this is what it is, the life of faith. Here, power is yours. Just walk by faith. Do not fear. Do not fear. You have the seven signs of the resurrection power in his ministry. And he says, apply it and live by it. Shall we pray? Father, this evening, this resurrection Sunday evening, we thank you for the strength. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your people. We thank you first. The people come second. If you were in here, it doesn't matter how many people listen. It still will be worth nothing. And if you are here and nobody is pleased and if you are pleased, then we are still content. We know we have still achieved our purpose. So I pray this is true for everyone, Lord. Everyone who is listening, wherever they are. Let God be God. 
Let God be first. Let God be lifted up and be exalted. Let the power of the resurrection, that is the very power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, come into everyone's life, Lord, even as wherever they are. Let them stretch forth by faith and receive healing from the hem of your robe because, Lord, you are there with them. There's many who are hearing who are ill. And I speak that word, be healed in Jesus' name. You are far, I am far, but he is near. And his word says in Psalm 107 and verse 20, I send forth my word and heal you of your infirmities. And I'm speaking that healing. Be healed in Jesus' name. Some of you are spiritually dead, yet you're hungry. You're almost dead. Or you're dead, but you're listening. To you I tell, little child, get up. Let begin as a child, get up. Let life come back. You knew God once, but you had gone away, far away. But in this season, he has brought you back to your senses. Come back to life. Let faith arise. Start your journey back to the Father's house. The Spirit will empower you. I speak to those who are bound. Be loosened in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Be loosened. Yes, you are saved, but you are bound by grave clothes. I break the power of the enemy over your life in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Be set free in Jesus' name. To all the others, I say, grow. Grow. That is God's last words through his servant, Peter. Grow. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. Grow. Final words of his first apostle. Grow. Use this time and season to grow. Both in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the knowledge of God. Grow. Both comes from the Holy Spirit. He teaches and he empowers. Grow. God in his mercy has extended this lockdown for another 18 days. Grow. Redeem the time. For not only are these days evil, the days that are coming are even more evil. Redeem the time. You will never get a time like this in your lifetime. Redeem the time. And come out stronger cleaner and with your ability to hear sharper than ever before in your life. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We just surrender ourselves once again into thy hands, all of us who are here, Lord, ministering in different capacities. We offer ourselves, our households, all into thy hands. I plead the blood of Jesus over us, our homes, our children, our churches, Everyone who's listening, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over them. And we rebuke the destroyer in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You will pass over every one of them. COVID-19 will not touch any one of them. 
you it will not touch us we are under the blood and we will stay under the blood and the blood is enough because it is written by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony they defeated you and we defeat you by the blood and our testimony and our testimony is god is enough and more than sufficient for us and if god is for us who can be against us nobody can be against us thank you thank you father we give you the glory the honor the power and the praise thank you father thank you lord for in jesus name we pray amen may the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each one of us amen